Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, April 30th. 2020. This is Shannon, and I'm here with Stacy and Natalia, and we are going to talk about books featuring strong family relationships. And some of these families are going to be like blood family, and some will be found family. Because I think there are just so many great books that talk about the various configurations that make up a family. And I thought we could get some great recommendations out of this topic. So before we get started, I have the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And now, Stacy will start us off, followed by me and then Natalia. I am really excited to talk about the first recommendation I have because it is the first series by Nora Roberts that I read and loved back in the late 90s. So I am doing a bit of a throwback, throwback Thursday, as it will. Woo! Uh, I know, right? And so I'm going to talk about the Quinn Brothers trilogy. Um, and the books in that trilogy are Sea Swept, Rising Tides, and Inner Harbor. <laughs> And I love these books so much. Um, they're actually um, part of my comfort reads that I, I, I pick these books up um, once every couple years and read them. It is about three men named Cam, Seth, I'm sorry, Cam, Ethan, and Philip. And all of these men as um, boys were um, adopted by Ray and Stella Quinn. Um, from various very difficult backgrounds. And, you know, they, they grew up and had chances that they wouldn't have had without Ray and Stella. And, you know, they kind of now, um, you know, from the very beginning that uh, Stella died years ago and her death sort of fractured all of the men in this family. They kind of went off on their own into different you know, different interests and they would come home periodically and visit Ray, but the closeness that they had as adopted brothers kind of waned a little bit. Well, at the beginning of Sea Swept, we find out that Ray Quinn is dying. And so all three boys, Cam, Ethan, and Philip come home. And that's when they learn that Ray has been keeping a little quiet about the fact that he now has um, a, uh, is in the process of adopting a new young boy named Seth. And on his deathbed, he begs his boys to stay and take care of Seth and all live and work together 
and kind of uh, pick up the pieces of his life that kind of got all shattered because of circumstances I won't talk about um, while they are all sort of parenting Seth and giving him a good example. And what I love about these books, first of all, I love all of the romances. They're all hot. But I also love how these three very disparate, very different men come together all um, basically as brothers again and kind of find their way back to each other, but also also find their way to learning to appreciate and love this young boy named Seth and how to bring him into the, the Quinn family fold. Um, so this is the Quinn Brothers trilogy, Sea Swept, Rising Tides, and Inner Harbor by Nora Roberts. And they're, you know, they're a little dated. They're from the late 90s, but they are amazing, and I love them so. I enjoyed yes. them a lot. I read them, boy, like five or six years ago. And I, I did read them all in a row. I didn't take any breaks. And um, I really, it was different from the Nora Roberts yeah, trilogy. Yeah. So my first pick tonight is pretty different. <laughs> So this is Saints for All Occasions by J. Courtney Sullivan. And this came out, I believe, in 2017. And this is the story of Nora and Teresa and their sisters who come to the United States from Ireland, like in the 50s. And Nora is the older sister. She's very responsible she's about to be married to this man that she's really not sure she loves but it will offer her like quite a bit of security and it will offer her sister security and so she figures like this is sort of her responsibility and what she needs to do but when like once they've been in new york city for a while Teresa gets pregnant and because of this nora is forced to make a really difficult decision that will sort of reverberate down through like generations to come. And so we follow Nora and Teresa and we see kind of how their lives change because of Teresa's unplanned pregnancy and kind of how their family is reshaped. So Nora does get married and she ends up having four kids and we get to watch them grow up and we see Nora's relationships with all four of them and with her husband and Teresa ends up becoming a cloistered nun. And so she is not like her uh, nieces and nephews don't even know that Nora had a sister. And so you don't like, you don't really see a lot of her in the novel. You see like kind of memories of her that, um, that Nora has. And then you see a few things from her point of view, but finally, something happens and the family is brought back together. And as they're brought back together, we get to see how they learn to kind of be a family again um, by kind of allowing Teresa into their lives, but also looking back at the mistakes that were made and kind of the missteps that people generally just take in life. And I love the sense of like overall commitment in this book that people are family regardless of those mistakes and missteps. Um, Sullivan's writing is just beautiful. Um, as someone who grew up in the Catholic church, I was really drawn in by her descriptions of Teresa and the peace she was able to find in, in her faith, even though 
my experience with religion is very different from hers. Um, I was really kind of entranced by her ability to like bring the whole like ritualistic Catholic mass to life. So this is, it's just an incredible book about family, about faith, um, basically just about what it means to be a person who doesn't always make the right decisions. And it's just so, so lovely. So this is- I want to read this. Yes, you should read this. It's so beautiful. It's Saints for All Occasions, and it's by J. Courtney Sullivan. And I'm so excited because she has a new book coming out um, later this year. And she hasn't had one since this one was written. So I'm really, really excited. You know, I love marriages of convenience. So yes, that's, that's just my catnip. Yes, I think you'd really like this. She also has um, a book called Maine, mm-hmm. which is um, quite good. And then there's The Engagements, which is all about like marriages, like three different couples. So you should definitely... Uh, look into her stuff so the first book i'm going to talk about is actually really new it just came out a couple weeks ago it's by brenda novak it's my second book i've read by her and really i've liked what I've, i liked what i have read so far and it has not been the same which is fine i mean you know some authors have a formulaic style and it's it's fine uh you you love it it's comforting but this is cool it's you know we i know we talked about how in in this pandemic we're all quarantined and we should be reading more than ever but it's actually been kind of hard to get into books because of the enormous amounts of stress that we're all under so this is one perfect summer by brenda novak so just imagine you know it's really popular these days to you know swab your cheek and send it to 23andme and i think there's another website i just don't remember what it's called and find out about your ancestry you know you want to know where you come from what what it can tell you Uh, my husband refuses to do it because he feels like they can use our dna against us (laughs) and there was actually a book about that that really scared me so i probably won't yes (laughs) no i don't don't think you should do it no i won't it's fine i wouldn't recommend it my mom is Dominican. My dad's Ecuadorian. There's, you know, and, and my uncle is Spanish and the, I'm just a Latina mutt. <laughs> I already know. So this book is about serenity. She does this. She, you know, she comes from a, a good family. Uh, she has brothers and sisters, awesome parents, but she's a crime novelist. And she writes about true crime in nonfiction Ooh. books which are so cool and what was really cool is that some of the books that were mentioned in in this novel i think they were made up but i would have loved to read those true crime novels that she was writing seriously and she just finished a trial where her hu- testifying against her husband and he went to jail for a crime we don't know what it is and she's recently divorced and so she hasn't really had any luck writing her next novel this thing with her husband was completely unexpected and it's basically taken away from her i guess muse or motivation desire and so she sends her dna to 23andme just to see what she can find to maybe link that to her novels Come to find out that she has two half-sisters that she's never heard about, that she doesn't know about. And as far as she knows, her parents have a very solid marriage. And one of the sisters is only six months younger than her. Whoa. So 
everything points to maybe one of her parents cheated, most likely the father. Yeah, maybe. Six months, right? <laughs> six months. Yeah. That, that's what she's thinking. But now she doesn't have the courage to talk to her parents about this uh, straight up, not because their family isn't close, but because, you know, she kind of feels like, whoa, what if I inadvertently ruined their marriage? What if one of them has been living a lie all these years? What if then my brothers and sisters won't love me because I, I brought this up? You know, she already, she's already really hated by her husband's family. And so she doesn't want to, to bring more strife from, I guess, personal relationships in her life. So her parents have a cabin in Soho, in, in no, not Soho, sorry, Lake Tahoe. And she decides to invite her two sisters for the summer and spend a week with them. And, you know, her other two sisters, they're going through their own problems. Lorelai just discovered that uh, her husband is have had an affair with her best friend and now her friend is pregnant. So she needs to decide what she's going to do with her marriage. Oh. And then Regan uh, is having some problems at work. And, you know, she's just figured out that she's dedicated too much of her life to her career and not enough to herself. So it's a very, you know, they're, they're all going through something. They all find out that they have sisters. Lorelai is an orphan. So she's very, you know, she was raised in foster homes. So she's very happy about this. Regan was raised by a single mom and it's just her and her mom. So it's kind of nice that she's going to have companionship. And Serenity is kind of the only one that's really hit by this because she thought she already had a complete family and she wants to see if her sister's stories are going to tell her something about where, where this all came from. Anyway, I know I, I've never rambled so much about a book before, but I've really, really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this. And I, you'll never guess how they're sisters. I know I didn't. So that was cool. The mystery aspect of it and how it resolved itself and just how these sisters got to know each other and they all needed each other. They were all going through something hard and they were able to come through for each other and make such a really beautiful extended family out of it that I, I really enjoyed. So it was kind of like what I liked about it was the balance. It was blood family because they're sisters by blood, but they also found each other. And I had never really read a book where it was like that. It was always one or the other or, you know, straight up adoption. But yeah. it was never something like, oh, I actually found people that are related to me. So this is One Perfect <laughs> Summer by Brenda Novak. And oh my God, it's just already out. So I don't have to announce a release date. So you can just go get it. Oh my gosh. Well, I True. love Brenda Novak. And I've been reading her books for a while. I've, she, I love, she does a lot of like, um, like different series and things like that. But um, I, this book is going to be, I'm putting it right on the top of my list right now because that sounds like everything I need in a book. So 21 years ago, Jules Sabatino ran away from home. And by ran away from home, I mean she walked out of her high school and saw the young musician that she fell in love with at the fair earlier in the summer. She drops her backpack on the lawn, hops on the back of his bike, and leaves town at 17. Whoa. And her father can't forgive her. He tried to get her to come back home and she wouldn't. And he said, if you don't come home with me right now, you will be dead to me forever. And she said, but I'm with my sexy musician, biker, badass boyfriend. I'm not coming home to the humdrum town of Pueblo, Colorado. I'm not doing that. And so she left behind her family and went on this like amazing journey with um, 
her musician boyfriend and uh, his bandmate, Michael. And Jewel does a lot of growing up during this time, including having a son. But now years have gone by. Um, Her life is very different. She lives in a tiny apartment in New York City with her 17-year-old son. And Michael, who is like the soulmate of her heart, um, her closest friend, he is, uh, he's dying and is no longer able to care for himself on his own. And just at this time, she finds out that her great aunt has passed away and left her a house back home in Pueblo, Colorado. And she decides it's going to be the perfect place for her to go and take care of Michael uh, in his final days of life. So where's the sexy musician? Um, he sort of died. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's not around anymore. So she goes home to Colorado with her 17-year-old sweet yet rebellious musician son. Um, she has a lot of concern about her son. He's going to follow in his father's footsteps, and his father's life ended with a crack addiction. Um, So she has a lot of anxiety, does Jewel Sabatino. But she goes home, and what I love most about this book is how she goes home and just sort of falls back into the majority of her family. She has three younger sisters, um, two of them very close to her in age, and one is significantly younger, and a mother and grandmother that she spends a lot of time with. Um, Her family owns an Italian restaurant. So this book also is about amazing food. Um, she bakes pies. There are recipes in this book. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's really good. And it's about how she, how comforting to her it is now um, at almost 40 to come home and to fall back into the rhythms. Oh, no, she's 40. But to fall back into the rhythms of her family, and particularly the women of her family. Because you see, her father is still not speaking to her. Even in public, it's very awkward. Her father just walks away. So, you know, Jewel is trying to contend with um, her past mistakes, Um, you know, finishing the raising of a son who thinks that he is already full grown, Um, you know, helping her best friend to die in peace and serenity. And then in sweeps on his motorcycle, Michael's younger brother, Malachi. Oh, Lord. And, yeah, indeed. And so, you know, there's a lot going on in this book in terms of, like, different types of relationship dynamics. But for me, the strongest thing about this book is is the family love and how the bonds of your sisters and your mother and your grandmother, you know, you may, you know, walk away from what you think is sort of banal and humdrum, but returning and falling back into that and having all of a sudden realizing you have all this support in a time of strife and upheaval. That was my favorite thing about the book. And there's a scene in um, a bridal shop for one of her sisters um, that had me like laughing out loud at the dinner table with my husband. He's like, what is going on? I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't stop. It was like the ugly, like hooting laughter that only happens. It's very awkward. But anyway, it just was a really lovely book full of amazing family dynamics and a beautiful love story and also a love story of friendship. And um, then the dynamics of a mother and son trying to navigate through the waters of young adulthood. So this book is no place that like home. Awesome. I, oh my God. It was like everything. Like I, uh, 
I needed it so much. Like right now during the pandemic, it was like, I need it sinking into a jacuzzi with a glass of wine. Like it was just like everything. Um, and so I have a question about it. Yeah. Uh, Just out of curiosity. So, um, was the main character ever with Michael? Cause I just really dislike the younger brother trope. But oh, the I books know. I no, that no I, I will. Um, I'm going to read it. I will say that. Um, I just want to be prepared. Michael, Michael has a different preference than, uh, oh, oh, oh. Ah, okay. So okay. he's her best friend. Okay. I understand. He's her okay. best friend. There's no, I can't with the sexual love. No, I, I, okay. no. Yeah. No, I don't so, like the whole like brother thing there. No, I don't either. So especially when the other one's still alive, that'd be awkward. Um, uh, so he's, yeah. he's, um, he's a friend, like I said, he's like a soulmate of friendship, if you will, but there's okay. no sexual anything there ever, never, ever, ever. Okay. So, and that again is No Place Like Home by Barbara Samuel. Um, if you've read her later books, she writes now as Barbara O'Neill and her voice that she writes in now comes through very strongly in this book. Um, you can very much feel the rhythms of like how she writes now. So I think if you, if you love Barbara O'Neill and you haven't read this book by Barbara Samuel, it'll be very comforting to you and lovely and everything. So next up for me is an unplanned addition that just like flew into my mind when I was listening to Natalia talk about the Brenda Novak book. So this is a young adult novel called Far From the Tree by Robin Benway. And it is about three siblings, Joachim, Grace, and Maya. And they were all raised separately. They were taken from their birth parents when they were little kids. Um, Grace and Maya were adopted. And Joachim has been kind of shuffled around the foster system for most of his life. And up until they're teenagers, they don't, they don't know about the others. Like they know that they have siblings, but they don't know who they are or where they are. Um, and they just, they don't have a lot of like memories of one another. So Grace is the middle child and she has gotten herself into a situation that kind of makes her identify with possibly what her own like birth mother's situation might've been in that she gets pregnant as a teenager and makes the choice to give her child up for adoption. And once she has done this, she's feeling very, very adrift. And she's trying to figure out, like, did she do the right thing? Like, what if she didn't? And so she decides that she's going to try to reconnect with Maya and Joaquin. Well, Maya is, like, pretty into this. Um, she was also adopted and her life is a little chaotic, but overall, like she feels very fortunate in her, in her adoptive family. And so she's kind of happy to get to know Grace, but Joaquim has a lot of resentment toward his sisters because they were adopted and he was not. And he feels like he suffered in a way that they, they never did. And he kind of wonders like, why didn't anyone adopt him? So as these three kind of get to know each other and begin to form their version of a sibling relationship, things slowly begin to unravel in Maya's um, family home. And as Maya's adoptive family begins to fall apart, her siblings, her birth siblings can then kind of like step in and become a new sense of support for Maya. And as they do that, they, 
begin to understand a lot about what it actually means to be family, whether you were raised with these people or not. Um, this is full of just really, really smart, witty humor. Um, the characters are phenomenal. They're very, very clearly teenagers, and yet there's just so much wit here. Um, it just makes me happy. Like the parts of the story are kind of sad, but I love watching these kids relate to one another and kind of try to figure out, you know, what their, their new relationships are going to look like. So this is Far From the Tree, and it's by Robin Benway, and I think it came out in either 2016 or 17. So it's a little older, and I feel like it got a lot of attention when it first came out, and then I haven't really heard people talk about it in a while. So I wanted to uh, bring it perhaps back to the forefront of people's minds where it belongs. That sounds lovely. I may have to break my young adult rules and read that. Yes. It's like something I want to read too. Yeah, so, you would like it, I think. Speaking of found family, I think that Shannon and I have a found brain. Because she came up with an addition when I was talking about something and hearing Stacy talk about No Place Like Home reminded me of a book <laughs> that is about found family and relationships. And I really love it because it's about everything that I enjoy. But I think, and it's one of my favorite authors, but I think it's one of her most understated and under-publicized book ever. But at the same time, I think it's the book she should be proudest of. I think it is the book she's been she's proudest of that she says herself. Can you guess? No. This is Hot Shot by Susan oh! Elizabeth Phillips. Yes. Oh my God. I read that book like fifty years ago. Like I cannot <laughs> fifty years ago. Well, I read I read it in, in my senior year of high school and since then I have reread it a couple times. I very much enjoyed it. It was literally hot shot. Oh my gosh. It was it was because I'd read all the Susan Elizabeth books that there were, and there was nothing else. Because Hotshot wasn't didn't look that interesting to me. The synopsis, I know, and I just didn't. You know, I was like, oh well, whatever. This is the last Susan Elizabeth Phillips. I might as well read it. And oh my god, I'm telling you, it's really her most understated book. People love it. Don't know about this novel, and so, um, you know, if if you've been a loyal member of the podcast, I, you know, I I. I read a lot of books and I like talking about the same authors a lot because, you know, they're, they're I think I think we've they're ever awesome. talked about this one, but we've never talked about this book. So hot shot by Susan Elizabeth Phillips is about Susanna Faulkner. So this book is all the things that I like. Uh, if you know me, you know, I love technology. So this book was inspired by one of my favorite technology stories, the whole computer boom in the eighties. The 80s, right? I'm correct. Or was I it the 70s? So. Yeah. No. But it was it was definitely inspired by Bill Gates and Steve Jobs' story with Apple and Windows and and everything else. But in this case, you know, women are involved in the story, which is great because you know, if you know the technology industry, especially most industries that have to do with things like that are always just men. You know, and I love reading books where women are in power and women are all the things. So this book is about Susanna Faulkner. And as a little girl, her mother, I believe her mother had a liaison with this really rich man. Um, he's one of the biggest industrialists in the country. 
and nothing nothing came of it but the mother already had a daughter who was Susanna and I'm not sure if Susanna was with her mother or her grandmother I don't know what happened to her mother uh you'll have to read the book because it doesn't say it in the synopsis and I honestly don't remember but she was being raised by her I believe grandmother maternal grandmother and she was really abusing her neglecting her she was like three years old and for some reason, the father heard a rumor that his ex had a daughter and he went to check on her or the gentleman. And he saw that she was, this girl was being mistreated and she, he fell in love with this little girl and he adopted her. And, you know, because she was so admiring of this man and so grateful to him for his, what he did for her, she did everything he wanted except, you know, and he, you know, he loved her. He wasn't like this crazy control freak, but there were expectations. And one of the expectations was for her to marry a man that was picked by him for her. Except she kind of wasn't having this because she felt no passion for this guy. And, you know, he was kind of like too perfect, but not in a good way. And she really couldn't, you know, she could never, she was always this good girl. She couldn't stand up to her adoptive father because she always thought that he wouldn't love her anymore if he had any idea who she was. And, you know, of course, in, in comes Sam, a passionate motorcycle visionary, wanting to start a company, makes her feel all kinds of things, convince, trying to convince her to, to run away with him. And, of course, she does. She runs away with him uh, the day of her wedding. She, he literally picks her up from her wedding in her bridal gown on the back of his motorcycle and takes her away. So, of course, her, her whole family stops speaking to her. And you know, it, it, it all changes because this guy is considered to be kind of a loser by everybody. He doesn't even have, he doesn't have money. He doesn't have class. He's, he's the typical biker guy, not what they expect him to be, but he wants to start a computer company and he has his, his best friend Yank, who's, you know, he's kind of nerdy and doesn't talk very much, but his brain is so big and full of intelligence that he, you don't know what to do with it. So you've got the visionary and the brain, you know, does that sound familiar? Yes. And they want her to help them start this company with the knowledge that she has helping her father and with her father's connections, even though they're not speaking to her. And it's just so incredible, you know, how what she does, uh, the family, how they all become family one way or the other, and how they pick up people along the way to help them with this vision and all their ups and downs with their company um, selling and buying and, and, you know, growing. It just had everything. I know I'm not describing it as well as I should because I really don't want to spoil it. But by the end of the book, she found her family. Uh, they all found family. It's like they were all these loners. Even if they were with people, they kind of all felt alone because they wanted something different. And they were able to make their different work for them and each other in a way that was really, really amazing. So this is Hot Shot by susan elizabeth phillips if my description sounds vague i really just i don't like spoilers so i don't like to give them even if you know they might seem like they're minor <laughs> i love this book so much i didn't i hated book. it but i read it years ago so like now oh i want to go back and read it again because i was bored well i think i was like oh. i don't know like it's a very different voice than yeah, a lot of it books it doesn't yes. have that sort of um even her intense books have moments of humor, and I felt like this was a very different voice. But 
I kind of yes. want to go back because it's sort of that like saga feeling of like, um, oh, like like public secrets, like where it's like the childhood, like yes. the growing up, like the right, you know. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. And it's kind of a are like honeymoon like feels similar. To yeah, honeymoon. You. Yes, yes. And so honeymoon I, I need to go me. back, and but I need well, to reread yes. it. It upset me a lot. I, I it was upsetting, I mean, but I did I did enjoy it. I sometimes just by accident stumble upon an author who just makes my heart feel so happy. And I'm going to talk about the latest book by Sonia Lolly. So last year I read The Matchmaker's List, which was her debut novel. And I was terrified to read, well, terrified is kind of dramatic, but I was a little worried to read Grown Up Pose, which was her second novel. Because sometimes you always wonder like if a book meant so much to you when you read it, the, you know, the first book, can the second book measure up to those feelings? And so I went into reading Grown Up Pose with a little trepidation. And this book, I had like a lump in my throat for the majority of it. Like I loved it so much. It's about Anu and she grew up in a very traditional Indian family um, in, I want to say like Vancouver um, in Canada. Is that right? Vancouver, I think, or Toronto. I don't know. She's Canadian. And she grew up in this very traditional Indian family, um, the type of family where when she met her first boyfriend, they had curfews and they had to be home at precisely 10 o'clock. Like this is a woman who's in college at the time. And um, they had very set rules about how often they could see each other and how long and like how involved they could be. And the parents had to be around for much of their courtship. And so to combat this, she did as her family and his mother wanted, and they got married very young. And all of a sudden, Anu is in this place where she's this young married woman, and now her mother and her mother-in-law have become best friends. And together, they're sort of managing the household, and she'd come home from work, and they're in the kitchen cooking together and deciding on paint colors. Right. So it's this very like enmeshed sort of family relationship. And then she has a daughter and she tries to be the perfect mother. And she's at every like preschool program and she does all of the work um, on all of the different like programs and, you know, all the artwork and all of the arranging. And she just tries to be this very perfect mother until one day she can't. She can't, she can't, she can't. She has to get out. She can't breathe. She's stifled. She can't be part of this family anymore where everything that makes her Anu has been stifled. And so she does the hardest thing she's ever done in her entire life. And she tells her parents that she is separating from her husband. And this causes a great amount of stirring, like distraught feeling among Her family, because traditionally this is not okay. You marry your mate, you marry the person that you marry, and you stay with them for life. Except Anu can't do that because she needs to be free. She needs to find who she's going to be. And so this whole book is about Anu trying to navigate how to be the daughter that keeps her, she's always been the good daughter. How can she continue being the good daughter and making her parents proud when she feels like she's dying? How can she continue to be the perfect wife to the husband that she no longer feels attracted to because basically she feels like she never had the chance to really explore to see if he really is the one she loves. How can she continue to be the perfect mother to her five-year-old daughter 
when all she wants to do is get away and figure out who the hell she is as a woman. And so this book is all about how Anu kind of breaks away from the mold of her family. And on one hand, feels very free and very, you know, proud of, of what she's done. But on the other hand, just has this tangle of very complex emotion about disappointing her family. And this book is um, a journey of self-discovery and um, just character development. And there is a one part in this book that like, I was like trying not to cry and like, I'm not a cry person. Um, I loved it so much. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But if you want to read something that isn't your average, like, you know, just sort of light read and it's, it's intense and has a lot of emotion and a lot of growth. And sometimes you look at Anu and say, what the hell are you doing? Like, you're really screwing up your life right now. I mean, she doesn't do things. You don't always agree with her and her choices, but ultimately this book is about exploration of yourself as a woman, as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother. And it was amazing. So grown up pose by Sonia Lolly, please, please read it. It's not getting enough attention. I I I want to, it sounds so just like, so what I need right now. This well, reminds me of the henna artist by Alka Joshi. Okay, I need to try that. Then. Oh yeah, that <laughs> was in nineteen fifty. Yes, kind of concept. Yes, like in Sri Lanka, I, I love it. All right. Okay. Are we ready for the apocalypse? Oh, yes, we are. Uh, I don't think we are. We're well, I don't know. We're, we're but... living through the apocalypse right now, I guess. Well, I, think, I think we've already been through the apocalypse. That's true. <laughs> and in this but case, now... the zombies are the toilet paper, paper towel thieves. All right. So, anyway. This is about the apocalypse, but there are zombies. So this is a series that Stacey and Sarah have been talking about um, even like before we started doing the podcast. So I've heard about this for a while, and was something that I really wanted to read, but I just, I have a lot of other things to read. And so I just never read it and never read it and never read it. And then finally, I read the Until the End of the World series by Sarah Lyons Fleming. And oh, happy day. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So we all know, like we've talked about this before, that I do not binge read books. Like I don't just fly through a series one after the other after the other but I could not stop reading this trilogy. And so I read all three of them in a row and it was all I could do not to start reading the sequel trilogy, which is called the city. Um, And I I knew that I just couldn't, like I had other things I needed to read and I knew that if I started, I wouldn't want to stop. So I still have these, Um, but until the end of the world is the story of Cassie and Cassie is living through, you know, what she considers like a pretty, normal life but then this pandemic appears and suddenly people are are dying but not actually dying they're turning into zombies and cassie and a group of her friends are trying to leave the city now cassie's father was kind of a prepper um a little bit like my father we'll just say um although my father didn't like store a bunch of food although he probably would have if my mother would have allowed it so he has made for Cassie and for her brother these bags so that they would always have what they needed if they needed to leave in a hurry. And so Cassie gets, you know, this, this um, like a massive amount of supplies. And she and a group of people try to head upstate to her, her parents' cabin. 
But as you would guess during the apocalypse, like you can't just drive straight through, you know, there's all these things that are trying to get in your way. And so the apocalypse itself is very, very well done. But the best thing about this book, like the thing that really makes this shine for me is the way in which all of these characters relate to each other. There are people that I hated when the series started and I just thought like, oh my God, like these are like terrible people. Huh. And it's not that they like suddenly, you know, aren't terrible anymore. It's just that they, they grow up, they start to see like how the world is changing and that they need to change along with it. And they mature in a way that feels very real. Um, you know, it's not just like all of a sudden somebody turns into a saint and they're like the best person in the world. Um, you know, they, they have times where maybe they're, they're not as kind as they could be, but their, their evolution is just remarkable. And this group of people forms a really, really tight family unit, even though, you know, there are, are difficulties between various members of, of this group. And the trilogy is just so fast paced and like, compelling um, and there's so many emotions that you feel as you read this and I don't want to go into like why some of these things happen but like parts of this were just heartbreakingly sad and then other parts of it were just like captivating you know you really had to see like how things were going to turn out so this is a phenomenal series it starts with until the end of the world is followed by and after and concludes with all the stars in the sky before you move on to the sequel or like the spin-off series. So this is the Until the End of the World trilogy by Sarah Lyons Fleming. I have and to you say have that these books- made my whole life happy by talking about it. <laughs> so are you ready for historicals? Yes. Historicals. So I'm not going to talk about what you thought I was going to talk about because I thought of something else that I'm reading recently that kind of <gasps> I know um, what it is. is intriguing. Uh, yes, you do. I'm sure. Oh. I want to talk about the Bridgertons. Yay! The Bridgertons by Julia Quinn. And the I reason them. I want to talk about the Bridgertons, not because their names are in alphabetical order, which is kind of cool, but what happened to A? Um, what happened to A? <laughs> What happened to no no that's not the letter that's missing. What is the letter that's missing? No letters are missing. Yeah, there's I saw A B C D E F G H. All right, so the Bridgertons. Uh, the first book of the series is called The Duke and I, and I'm not gonna go specifically into the books per se, but I want to talk about this family why i like this so of course they're all related their blood family it was a couple violet and edmund married and they were married in a time where marriages were arranged so they were already an odd couple because they loved each other seriously seriously loved each other and they had what is it eight children yes eight children and they were very happy with their family uh they had a wonderful beautiful family they were well to do except that Edmund just dropped dead at 39 because of a bee sting. Was it a bee or a wasp? I think it was a bee. Maybe it was a bee. I think it was a bee. And he just dropped dead at 39 unexpectedly. One minute he was alive and the next minute he wasn't. And of course, with eight children, you have kids at different ages. So, you know, the oldest 
was a man, 18 already. And the youngest would never remember her father. And so the death of this magnetic, dynamic man affected all of their children in many ways and their individual, different ways too. And their individual books touch on that. But what's also really cool for me is that, you know, we always read all these historicals and, and the ones about widows, usually they need to find a husband, they need to remarry, or their first husband was terrible and now they're going to try to do something of convenience with somebody that'll have money to maintain them um, to make it work, right? But this, this isn't the case in these particular novels. These novels are about the kids, not about you know, them when they're getting, they're adults, but it's not about Violet at all because her husband left her well-to-do enough where she could live her life however she wanted. Um, you know, she was able to raise her children. She didn't, she didn't get remarried by choice, not because, you know, she didn't have the need to find a man to support her. And, you know, in that time in history, it was unheard of, completely at least in, in the novels, I don't really know about, you know, reality, I was there. But in novels, you know, as I said, you always find that the widow remarries at some point. And so she raised all these kids by herself, you know, and I, I don't know, I just think it's amazing. It's amazing to see the relationships between the siblings, how they get along, the loyalty, the strength, and the way that even though they're such a united family, and they're so loving, they're willing to take in other people. And make them a part of their family. They, they're a family that's so giving and so open. But at the same time, they were so scarred by this tragedy. Because they basically lost their patriarch. And, and that really hurt all of them. But they all came out of it so incredibly strong. And, and it's kind of like if, if he left this legacy. that she could, They both made this legacy of, I guess, kids. And they're all continuing it. And it's just also, I don't know. It's really awesome. I really, really like I really, really like these books. It's probably one of my favorite uh, historical family dynamics if we talk about family dynamics. So these are The Bridgertons by Julia Quinn. And the first book is The Duke and I. And I want to add an addendum or mention that this family was supposed to be a tri trilogy. There were only supposed to be three kids. <laughs> or at least three books, right? That's, that's what they always said. Like, oh, it was an accident. Yeah, but it wasn't supposed to be... <laughs> Right, but I saw on Julia Quinn's website that she, her fans liked the book so much, she was so surprised at how much they were well received, that yes. even she wanted, you know, they were, her fans asked her so many different questions that she wanted to know the answers to herself, so she kept writing the stories, and I mean, they never get old, No, I never get no. tired of them, uh, she's writing a she, prequel series of, of Bridgertons that are related to Violet, but they're not. Uh, to Edmund, but they're not, you know, these Bridgertons. They're the ones, they're the older ones. Yes. And um, they're just, I don't know. I never get tired of them. I really, really have enjoyed every single one of these books. I love when they play like their version of croquet. It's called like Paul Mall or something. And it, it just, it's oh, such a so creative. weird, yes. No one is likely going to be surprised that we're going to talk about a Kristen Higgins book. Um, ah, as part yes. of the podcast, because you know what would be a podcast where we don't talk about Kristen Higgins, especially and, like a family-oriented podcast. That right. would not be yeah. correct. And you know, Natalia reminded me I could have talked about the Blue Heron books because I really do love the family dynamics. But 
I had decided already that I wanted to talk about um, life and other inconveniences, which was her 2019 release. And this book, I loved it because it's very much um, about the dynamics among women of different generations of a family. And it just, it made me really happy. Um, it's about Genevieve, who's a matriarch of this family. Um, she's made her own line of um, women's like handbags and different things. And, you know, she is a very well-known, respected, and I'd say feared woman <laughs> in the world. And she's, she's aging as gracefully as she possibly can. Um, and I just have to segue for a second and say one of my favorite things um, in this book is a chapter that she discusses what it's like to age. Um, yes. I've, I mean, it was one of the best things I've ever read in my entire life. So we have Genevieve and she's very, she's had a very rough life. Um, the son that she adored vanished years ago and she's never been able to really recover from that loss. And so when her living son, who she never could love in the same way as the one that vanished, when he dumps his young daughter on her doorstep, essentially, she takes in her granddaughter, Emma, and gives her everything materialist, materially, that a woman, a young girl could want. Uh, materially, is that even a word? She gives her all the luxury, all of the advantages. But the one thing Genevieve cannot give her granddaughter, Emma, is her love and affection and kindness. Because all of that died when her son vanished. Well, when Emma was very young, uh, just graduating from high school, she found out that she was pregnant and her grandmother kicked her out. So Emma has not seen her grandmother in years and years. And when the book opens, she has a teenage daughter, Riley, who is going through some of the challenges of being a teenage girl with, you know, the, the bullying best friends. I mean, if you have friends like that, who wants friends? But, you know, she's being sort of excised from a group. Um, she's going through a lot of upheaval at school. And then Genevieve calls her granddaughter, Emma, to tell her that she will make Riley the heir to her vast fortune if they will agree to come and spend the summer back at the family mansion. And Emma's like, screw you, B. I'm not coming back there. But then some things kind of explode for her daughter at school, and Emma decides, fine, I'll spend the summer with you, you old bat. Just don't tell my daughter about this inheritance nonsense. I just want her to have a nice summer. Well, when, when the family's back together, um, they very slowly begin to understand each other a little bit better and to bond over different things. You know, Riley is surprised just how much she loves her great-grandmother Genevieve and just how interesting she is. She doesn't stop, you know, feeling upset at the way that Genevieve treated Emma years ago, but, you know, she really admires her a lot. And through this relationship, Genevieve kind of realizes that Perhaps she could have done things with Emma a bit differently. And this whole story is just kind of about their sort of evolution into um, 
a multi-generational sort of strong tapestry of female family fabulousness. How'd you like that? And um, there's um, a little bit of romance along the way. And I just, I don't want to give too much away, but it's just a really, really wonderful book about the intricacy of family and dynamics, both good and bad that can happen. um, And how, even after years, how the pain of one event can sort of rule a family. And this again is Life and Other Inconveniences by Kristen Higgins. And if you haven't read it, please go and read it, please. It's lovely. It is lovely. My next pick is lovely in a different way. So we talk a lot on the podcast about Ilona Andrews, um, although I think a lot of what people have talked about um, would be like the Kate Daniels books, which I have not read, except for the first one, which I hated. What? Since I haven't read them. I'm going to talk about the Hidden Legacy series because Ooh, I have read those. And amazing. I yes. So the first book is called Burn For Me. And it is the story of Nevada Baylor. And she is sort of a, like a private detective in a magically enhanced um, version of the U.S. in Texas. And she lives in this like really big kind of bunkerish looking place with her mom and her siblings and her grandmother and one of her cousins. And they're just basically kind of struggling to survive. Um, They have some magic, but they try to like keep it under wraps for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to tell you about. But Nevada gets this case and it's a case that she's kind of afraid that she's not strong enough to deal with, that she can't kind of find this person that people are asking her to find. And that if she does manage to do it, it will be like a very risky, terrible thing that could cost her family like everything. But then Nevada is abducted by this guy who is called Mad Rogan. And he is a very, very strong, magical person. And He's very feared, like the whole world is kind of like in awe of him. But he needs Nevada to help him apprehend this target, the same one that she has been assigned um, to find. And as they sort of have this uneasy alliance that's beginning, they realize that they have feelings for one another. It is just a really, really excellent mix of like mystery and magic and romance, but also of this strong, very connected family that all like works together as part of this, um, part of this business that kind of keeps the family alive. And it is just such a remarkable group of books. The first three books are about Nevada. And then with Sapphire Flames, she sort of allows us to get to know one of Nevada's sisters. Um, the fifth book is coming out this summer and I can't remember what it's called, but I'm really excited about it. So this is the Hidden Legacy series. It starts off with Burn For Me and it is by Ilona Andrews. So I, <laughs> I read the first book in this series and I loved it, intensely loved it. Like it was my favorite of anything I've ever read by Ilona Andrews. And then, I don't know, life happened and 
I totally didn't pick up anything else. So oh, I no. kind of have to, I know. So I feel like I really need to go back and, and start the series again. It just took, it took too long. Remember that? Yeah, the it did. Was it took to come such out? a long time. Okay. I is mean, that they, what they made up for it? Yes. Yeah. They made up for it because the second and third came out a month apart. But right. it took okay. almost it was like two years. So long That's what happened. Between. Okay. And I had stopped reading any sort of like urban fantasy or anything basically paranormal. Right. That at, the, at that point. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I was like, ah, oh. and, and I know Sarah's told me to read it and Shannon has, oh, right. you've yes. seen Natalia, like everyone you has. Must. So, yes. But You're I did so love that the family, the, the dynamic of the family was so great. Like in this book and how they really all is. were very yes. strong and, Committed. You know, they, to, they also lost their father as well. They did. Yeah. Yes. All strong with raising these children. Mom yes. And the grandma. grandmother. Right. Yes. So the last book is a, a book I've been wanting to talk about. This author here forever, but it never. I guess it never really came up. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. Like it sort of fit like some things, but then like other things fits. fit them better, and right. it just has never. But I'm dying to talk about her, and it finally fits here. So this is the Abby Cooper series by Victoria Laurie. And the first book is called Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye. And if you like these books, these books were monumental for me. And for the, re- the reason they were monumental has nothing to do with their subject. But if they are monumental for you, like they were for me, in the sense that because of these books, I read so much faster now. Um, there are 15 books, or I think 16 out for you to enjoy. They never get old. They don't get boring. They don't get repetitive. I really like them. So Abby Cooper, she's a psychic, but she's not like a, uh, she's like the most realistic psychic you'll ever see in the sense that there's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's paranormal cause there's a psychic, but there's no like magic or anything like that. She lives a completely ordinary life. And in, I think she, she starts out in like New Mexico maybe. And she moves to Texas. So she moves really far away, but she has her own office, you know, and she literally, that's her profession. She, people pay her to do psychic readings. And, you know, she's, she's a real psychic. This is what she does. She does by phone, by virtual, and in her office. Kind of like a doctor. You know, you go see Abby. And something happens that she ends up having to move across the country. I'm not going to spoil it. But basically, she leaves her whole life uh, where she used to live, including her best friend. And they, they kind of grew apart. Now, the thing with Abby is because she's a psychic, uh, her family, her parents weren't good to begin with, but the fact that she was a psychic made her the most, I guess, despised by her parents. And her oh. grandparents loved her, but they died young. So, you know, just her and her sister. Her and her sister are close, but they kind of don't have much in common because her sister is married and she's a millionaire. She's married with three kids happily, and she lives in Boston. So, far away from her also. So, while they really love each other, they kind of don't don't you know see each other as much as they would like and so abby's here alone in the world basically in this new place and she sees something on tv uh that i guess spikes one of her you know her senses and she decides to go to the police about it it's about a crime about a disappeared little girl i believe and when she goes to the police she meets this detective that's kind of you know of course skeptical about 
her abilities. And she just cares about finding this little girl because she has this talent. This is really cool or sad, depending on how you look at it. But when you see a picture, she can see a picture of somebody. And if they're dead, she'll know it right away because they have this flat two-dimensional look for her. Um, And then when they're alive, they look, you know, 3D to her so she know everybody thinks this little girl i think they think this little girl is dead but she knows this girl is not and the person accused of having taken her she knows that he's innocent but you know you know she says she's psychic so they expect her to know everything but she doesn't she has to work with the clues that she's got and the way that her radar she calls it her radar um talks to her and in the thing in in the grand scheme of things she you know turns into this psychic that's Instead of being a professional psychic, she's helping the police solve crimes. And she grows so much as a character in these books. And she finds friends and she finds love. And she makes, you know, I guess this whole family. And I just love books like this where the character starts off alone. They're really interesting. And then people come into their life little by little by little by little. And, and by the time you're in book, on book 16, it's this whole gang of people you know that that really love each other and that really they're not just friends but they're family especially for somebody like her who didn't really have much of a blood family and she was able to find family so I really like these books they're you know they have a little bit of everything that you might like so yes they have found family but they have romance they have mystery they have a little bit of paranormal you know not so much where you're gonna feel you're not going to feel disbelief, you know, if, if paranormal isn't your thing, that's fine, but you'll still probably like these books because they're a little bit outside of the edge of reality, but not so much that, that you're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> so this is Abby Cooper. The first book is called Abby Cooper, Psychic Eye, and it's by Victoria Laurie. And I really hope that somebody will read this and like this as much as I did. I love these books so much. I will absolutely read this. I will too. I'm committing I'm committing because I need a new series. I'm almost done with Darkest London. Um, I'm going to be like Cleo from Clifford. Have I ever (laughs) steered you wrong? My son is watching Clifford. Oh, my God. That's funny. Clifford, the big Big red red dog. Doggy, yes. All right. So that does it for us this evening. Thank you to Stacey and Natalia for coming up with some really great and very diverse uh, family recommendations tonight. As always, thanks goes out to Christine. A, for, you know, not being upset that we're recording this on her birthday. (laughs) And B, for all of the fantastic editing that she does for all of these episodes. And thank you so much to all of you who join us each week for our discussions of all of the books that we love. We appreciate you so very much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.